Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Um, the dogs are fighting on the floor for the attention of today's guest. Uh, guest, who are you? My name is Graham Elwood. Hello, Graham Elwood. It didn't feel as fresh as it normally feels because we've uh, previously <laughs> discussed, discussed uh, that very intro. But it's nice to have you here, my friend. Um, let's assume that the conversation we had a while back for other people uh, has not been heard okay. by people listening to this today. So tell people who you are. What's like, uh, yeah, you know, my, you know, how do I, you describe yourself if, if someone says, uh, you know, hey, hey, Graham, what are you about? I would say I'm a, uh, I'm a filmmaker and a, uh, and a, like a indie media and like political comedian slash pundit is what I would call myself. You are. You're fucking, you know what you are. You are a bit of an outside the system outlaw. That's what I'm... Like you make these little sort of like awesome indie projects. You're like a kind of old school indie content maker. That's, you know, I, that's how I feel because I did 300 episodes of television for mainstream Hollywood. I did these game shows back in, uh, from 99 to 2004. And oh, we've never talked about this. What what sort of game shows were they? What were the like you know the competition that people had to enter they were into? F- highly educational. Uh, one of them was called strip poker. Okay. And <laughs> so, let me guess. <laughs> It'd be great if there's a twist. Oh no, no, they didn't play poker, and they were fully clothed. No, yeah, it was a. Uh, they were physicists yeah. who. <laughs> No, it was a yeah. It was exactly what you think it is. Yep. It's two men, two women. If you go on YouTube, you will find it, and you will see me with really long sideburns, manicured eyebrows, and uh, flashy, shiny bowling shirts from that era. Okay, well, um, that's nice. That's a nice time capsule. It is with like flaming martini glasses and the dice and the you know it was very like. Well, that's good too for people who are like I could never be a cool indie media maker like Graham Elwood. Like he's always been cool. Look at him with like you're directing film projects and these awesome like alternative TV series and he was on the podcasting before everybody else was. Like look at this cool guy. I could never be this guy. Look at him with him with all these firm opinions about politics and he's like, you know, compassionate worldview. I can never be this guy. They can go back to your pre, um, you know, pre, pre, the, pre the Waynes being shot in an alley after the opera and see what you were like. See what little Bruce was like. Oh, God. Oh, God, I love that you weaved in a Batman reference. God bless you, sir. I know I'm in the right... I know I'm in a safe place, but... Oh, yeah, exactly. You would see comedian Graham Elwood who just moved to Hollywood to be famous, you know, and wanted to be on TV and movies. And, you know, that show was two guys versus two girls taking their clothes off. Um, Nobody got naked, but... uh, And it was... You know, Norm MacDonald wrote for that show... It had wow, like uh, yeah, Kira Soltanovich wrote for that show. Bonnie McFarlane wrote for that show. It was like, it was so fun, and you're seeing me just have the time of my life. I mean, because I moved to LA when I was like 25. I'd been I started doing stand up. Good idea for a, a TV show, by the way. And was, I, don't, I don't have the time to. Uh, no, I don't mean yours. It's a terrible idea for a TV <laughs> show. I. <laughs> I'm about to give you a good idea for a TV show. <laughs> oh, it's God. barely a TV show. It's just yeah. the title of something. They went, yeah, that could be a show. That's all it was. Yeah. So, um, no, but a group of really talented writers at an early stage in their career working on a show that is clearly not 
you know, like we've seen it in a sort of Larry Sanders, mm-hmm. you know, model, but they're all working on a successful, you know, yeah. Yeah, show in their world. But this idea of having a group of gun writers working on this show that is well, will be in the rest of their career well below the talents of all the people involved in it would be a very interesting show. I think. It is. It is. It's really, I mean, it was, it was like super crazy and fun. And it was like, I learned so much. We would, cause it was on, um, <clears throat> they call it a, a strip show in the sense that it's on Monday through Friday. Oh, it's a, yeah, okay. A stripper yep. program. Yep. I don't know if, what if they use the term in Australia, but that's, they do not. But uh, we we are familiar with the concept. So we would shoot five and six episodes a day, and um, and it was always eight hours. They would never pay for overtime, and there was no teleprompter. I had to memorize all this stuff, and it was such great training and experience for that. Like you know. TV, show up and do it. You got a cold, I find some cold medicine. Nobody cares. Get it done. And that, and it was the, the crew was really cool. The writers were obviously a lot of fun. The producers were cool. And it was, it was just such a cool experience to see this and then get a glimpse at what like big time show business was, you know? Um, and it was for USA Network and, you know, getting flown around to do press junkets and stuff like that. And then I did a bunch of, game show pilots I was just started to get hired I didn't even like strip poker I had to audition for and then I did this show cram on the game show network they just hired me on the spot which was great and kind of helped build the show around me and my sense of humor and again had a bunch of really funny writers involved and uh there was these there was this director and crew that was like he was the game show because they could come in and just it was like live TV, almost like live to tape. And it was so, so fun. I mean, it was just such a great experience. But then it was like, you know, you're pigeonholed and the agents and managers. I'm, I, you know, I'm like, I want to audition for sitcoms and movies. And they're like, no, you're a game show host. And I was like, oh, what? And then there was a strike and they got rid of game shows and started doing reality TV and all this stuff. A lot of that sort of and then seeing how big time show business worked and like you know the the head of the network on your gram you're a member of the family and then you know the show's canceled and i you know i I, i'm not invited to the christmas party for the night you know like just that like complete boop bye get out of here and you're like okay so that was just talk that's just business and it's so important to learn that lesson you have to like you know there's this thing they say in hollywood is the kindest no is a no in the room you know, like, you know, you don't want to be bullshitted by anybody. Yeah. You've just got to get to the point where going, look, there's a hundred guys out there who look like me in the foyer. I sat with them, you know, right. like one of us is going to get it and the rest of us aren't going to get it. Tell me now if I'm not going to get it That's and then cool. I can move on to whatever the next thing is. A quick no is better than a long maybe. I'd rather just have you tell me no, uh, whatever it is. If it's I'm auditioning or I'm pitching a project and you say it's a cool project, but we're not going to finance this. But sometimes people early on, like get into the system and they don't get that no, right? No. You know, you're part of that, that entertainment network family for long mm-hmm. enough that you become acclimatized to that world. And so yep. then when eventually the no comes in your career, you have no capacity to handle None. it. You're like a wild animal that's been released from the zoo, but they yeah. let you back in the wild. And two minutes later, one of the other animals that is smaller than you, but more streetwise, more jungle-wise, <laughs> yes, has just fucked your shit up. Hard. Because right. you're just like... And I really understood it. So much stuff made sense to me. The child actors who are, mm. can't cope. Because I went from, you know, struggling comedian, living in a cheap apartment or house with a bunch of roommates, you know, moving furniture on the weekends, whatever. 
uh, you know, taking every $50 bar gig I could find to buying a house to right. big, big paychecks, like paychecks, one paycheck more than I made in a year. Like yeah. this is my job. Yeah. This is what I do. I'm being paid like a person who has special skills. Yeah. Like, I mean, like I can hit home runs or something yeah. and, and, and then you're going and the, and, and I've been told by people around me that I have special skills. You're the best. You're the in- system is like, it's yeah. less so in Australia, to be honest, because we are just a bit more, it's smaller and the star system just really isn't the same here. And mm-hmm. we have a thing called tall poppy syndrome, which is if you get a bit too full of yourself, Australians are going to take you down. Yeah, take you down. Like, that's why I think a Trump, and we'll get to that, you know, wouldn't be as likely to happen in the same way as it happened over sure. there because we would just think he's a bit too fucking full of himself, you know. Like another personality, you could do the same thing without a doubt, but yeah. Well, that's a great, man. That's a great point because in America... Well, you're starting to get big and famous. Well, now you get better special treatment. Right. It's almost like, oh, you're allowed now mm. to be an asshole. Yeah. And, you and know. there's no value judgment on what it is they did to earn that money or that fame. Nope. That's the interesting thing. Because I think here there's still more a connection to right. people still find fame and money impressive, but it kind of well-earned fame and money they find impressive. Whereas in America, the thing that I really noticed was that being famous and rich was of itself enough. That's it. And so you saw that I got invited to the big fancy parties. I got, I mean, I saw like, I'll never forget when I had been hired, they hired me to do strip poker and we were starting to audition. I had a female co-host. They wanted some beautiful woman. And so these just drop dead gorgeous women. And we were doing this audition in like the, like a conference room and I'm dressed like I am now just t-shirt and jeans. Nobody knew who I was. The show wasn't on the air yet. And like, you know, I was like in the lobby or whatever, getting some, and there was these beautiful women. And I remember just like, I just like smiled at one and she was like, "Uh uh-huh, like get by. We go in the room and then I go in the room and she's finally brought in and she's like, hey, how are you? And they're like, this is Graham. He's the host. She's like, hi. And she's flirting with me and being all sexual. And I was like, she doesn't even remember like visually spitting in my face yeah. with her eyes. Well, because it wasn't you. She yes. met some schlub in the foyer. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just some... when that guy, that really like ordinary guy, yeah, don't, like dared look at me, and yeah. she's like, "No, thank you." Whereas in there, you're you're the you're the host guy. Oh, look at this guy. Hey, hey, she wouldn't even. If she still wouldn't be able to recognize if you'd said, "I met you before," she'd be like, "No, no, you didn't. Never met you before in my never life. in my life." <laughs> Never in my life, because there's just a blur of idiots in jeans and T-shirts yeah. trying to hit on me. And that is a, an example of not of her as a person, but of how the industry itself, the system, the system, yeah. This and and so like I saw. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right? You'd see like all of these things, and you saw the corruption of it. You saw the well. If you sleep with this person, you'll get a ha- and like you got to go play ball. And so like. Well, I just read Catch and Kill, you oh. know, Ronan Farrow's book about Jesus. the Harvey Weinstein stuff and, and it touches on the Matt Lauer stuff as well. And, you know, you you see like those books and I've started reading She Said, which is by the New York Times journalist mm-hmm. who, you know, who's, who also won the Pulitzer Prize for exposing the same stuff. And, um, you know, reading both, you know, the, how it was being investigated on both sides was really interesting as well. You get a broader perspective. But the one thing that is common to both those books is how inherent in the system, how responsible the system itself was for covering up the crimes within the system. Well, again, that's just like, like what that woman did 
I'm not going to talk to a regular guy, but I'll flirt with this host. Mm. So it's almost, so then there's this like, well, the more famous I get, the more beautiful women I just get. That's, I just get, that's part of it. Mm. I get the nice house. I get the fancy car and I get the, I get pretty girls who just mm. give themselves to, you know, just want to have sex with me. Cause I'm, and you, I mean like people treating you differently, all that stuff. Like, and the, the flip in perspective, because there was always that myth, right? It was joked about the casting couch. Right. And you know, I, I like I feel like I'm constantly on a journey of readjusting the way that you have seen the world because often you feel like, oh no, the way I have behaved in my life, you know, I'm reasonably okay with. Because at the time I thought that everything that you know you're doing, you're like, no, no, I'm I'm being a good person within the situations within the rules of this game. But what these books and you know the Me Too movement and the discussions around, you know, the I'm a you know white straight man. Right. So I was seeing the world from the perspective yeah. of a white straight man and not realizing how many things were set up to make sure that you never saw that you were getting like a, you know, like a, and that's not, just, you know, anyway, I don't need to do all the provisos around, you know. That no, but it's true. Like but, if you're a straight white male, if you work hard within this system that's set up mm. for us, you'll succeed. Mm. And we didn't see the fact that you're just shunned or not you don't even get access if you're not that or that even if you don't succeed like even if that you know there is some infant you understand the rules of the game yeah whereas like when you say like you know say to and again we're speculating wildly on this but this woman who doesn't recognize doesn't look at you in the foyer but lights up when you're the host of the game show mm -hmm. like our cliched way of thinking about that is always you know that idea that she is enjoying playing the game that that has just happened that she like you know is there's some super superficiality to her reaction because right. in the foyer you are no one and in there you're someone mm -hmm. or is it if you look at it from their perspective so all these you know, young actresses who went through Miramax regardless of what they thought of the situation they were like if I want to do this this is the this is what I have to do yeah. the male actors to a certain degree, at least, just get to go in and audition and see if you get the part. But if you're a female actor, that's not enough. There's also an entire different part of this that you have to, regardless of whether you're comfortable with it or not, if you want to be an actress enough, mm -hmm. you're at some stage going to have to put up with the fact that Harvey Weinstein's going to grope you. Now, when you look back on it like that, you're just like, yeah, oh, fuck. Like imagine having like you're a young actress who just like singing songs and acting out scenes and stuff, and then you get to the Super Bowl of your profession, and part of your gaining entrance to run out on that field and do what it is that you love to do to sing and dance and pretend to be other people, you have to let some horrible fucking gross, you know, uh, look you at, know, rapist, you know, like, and that's just part of it. Let's just look at and the, you. You don't. You can't tell anyone if you start flipping the other side of it, like you're doing, which is really great. There was no female game show hosts. Right. It was all hosted by white males. Because right. that's the game show host in America is the white guy with nice teeth. You know, like, and so the producers, it was a male and female couple. The head of the network was a man. You know, like, sure, there was two guys on the show also taking their clothes off, but it's two women. I mean, the show was designed for young men to go, oh, hot girls taking their, you know. So the only job you can get as a woman on the show is to be the pretty sidekick to the white male host. I saw someone tweet about this the other day. And again, not something that, like, sometimes you just don't think about things because they haven't been in your world. But once you are forced to think about them, I think you owe 
you owe it to yourself and to the thought to explore it and see, oh, was this something that I was not aware of on purpose or not aware of because I was naive or I was concentrating on other things? I think it was less of a tradition. Yes, you're covered in dog hair now. It was less of a tradition in Australia for people to go on the road just with someone else. And like I've always toured with Justin Hamilton, who you know, my friend. And so this is not something I'd ever really thought about a lot. It's not like that American system where you might be club to club, tour to tour, maybe having an opener. But a female comic was like, hey, you know, male comics, if you just want to do something nice for female comics, when you're on the road with like an opener, like, or a, you know, a feature for you and their fame, don't try to fuck them. Right? Like, just don't, just leave them alone. Right. They're you're at not- work. They're going on the road and they don't need their weekend, you know, ruined by the, you know, the headliner trying to fuck them all weekend. Right? Yeah. And I know that that sounds like such a weird thing to not, but, you know, you would laugh or joke about, like, you, stories of the road, people who are doing these sort of things. And you're like, yes, but these are just young women who want to tell jokes. They right. didn't get into comedy because they wanted to be hit on by every fucking yeah. crusty headliner every time they go on the fucking road. They just want to see if their jokes work so they can do Conan. Right, you're right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great point. And, like, I, I saw early on, like, how show business worked and, you know, if you're willing to sacrifice your morals or ethics a little bit you'll definitely get advanced you'll move ahead and i saw that like you have to male or female i mean obviously it's stacked uh, harder for females but like you still as a male like i had a gay male producer like hey i like what you know and it was pretty clear he didn't flat out say it but i knew what was up if Mm. i was willing to pretend i wasn't attracted to men i could have advanced my career you know right and even if I was gay and wasn't attracted to him, like imagine if Hollywood was run by women who were the female equivalents of Harvey Weinstein and you had to like, yeah. do you want to sleep with this older haggard looking? Harvey Weinstein is an ugly man. Yeah. You know, imagine having the, a woman that looks like him, the female equivalent of looking like him going. Yeah. You want to, you want to just anyone, anyone, you shouldn't have to deal with that situation in your workplace. Even if it's someone who you're attracted to or not attracted to, right? like they don't know what your person, like, you know what I mean? It's just not a workplace. If you want to go and have a drink at a bar later and, you know, work it out as adults and, you know, go into things as equals and whatever, but this, it's just not something you should have to deal with in your workplace. And so, you know, I, I, we grew up in a certain era where things were definitely, stacked in that favor and it, it feels like some of the facade of that has started to be torn down and is crumbling down and a lot of it way too late for what it should be and even those of us who feel like you know we've tried to approach life in the right manner have still got you know things all along that journey and mistakes that we've made where we've had to go okay well I could either sweep this under the carpet or I could spend some time exploring you know, you know, what has happened in my life, mm-hmm. who I was then, why I was like I was then, what have I done? What steps have I made to, you know, ensure that I am not the same person who I'll give you an example with my drinking, right? Like I, I've been having a, a, an actual break from drinking while I've been so busy, which is the first time in a very long time where I've had a really decent break from drinking. Did and, you finding like you were starting to have a problem with it leading up to this break? Funny. Well, the, the thing about what I, and so I am very lucky 
that I am one of those people who has almost like an immediate off switch. So if I decide, so it was not, it has not been hard for me in any way to not uh-huh. be drinking. I have not missed it one bit. Like if I, like if I go, I'm, I'm going to stop drinking today. I don't, I've got beer in the fridge. Like I could have a drink whenever I wanted to have a drink, you know, uh-huh. like I've not even once wanted to have a drink. You know, I know why I'm having this break. I have so many things to do. I need to be in an emotional space to deal with it all, you know. Um, but what that also means is that sometimes I just don't care about how much I'm drinking because like, I'm like, I don't have a, like right. a problem with this. And my rule was always, as long as I'm not like ending up behaving in a way that I'm not proud of, like while I'm drinking, then who cares how much I drink? <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Right, like, right. you know, right. you know, you drink all you want. You're a good drunk. But then I had just a couple of incidents. One, one getting on a plane that I can't remember where Alonzo mm. Bowden had to essentially drag me onto it like through customs in Bermuda, you know, onto a plane. And, you know, and I was like, well, I don't remember that. And if I am drinking in a way that means I can't remember something, then you can't be, you have to be like, if, so for example, if I got like arrested then or something like that, the fact that I can't remember it doesn't excuse me because I was the person who got myself in the situation where I can't remember it. I don't want to get myself in a situation where I can't remember what I've done. Because in life, you're going to make mistakes. You know, we all do. It's a series of fucking mistakes. But if you remember them and you know them and acknowledge them, you can learn from them and grow from them and reconcile them and all these sort of things. But if you can't remember, like that's then you're like, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to... I'm going to take a knee for a while and just like, you know, dial this back because I broke my rule, right? I did something Mm -hmm. while I was drinking that I can't remember. So like, and you know, flying in, like we were flying from Bermuda. So it's a international flight back into the US. Like, you know, if I got in trouble that- You could have got hung up pretty hard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And particularly as I was clearly not capable of- well, you could have said something dumb to a customs agent or whatever. You could have just, you know. Well, apparently when I had to sign the form, you know, to get through, they handed me the form and Alonzo said that I signed my signature, but I was like three inches away from the paper. <laughs> so I was just signing in there. They let me on the plane, which is fucking amazing, really. But like, again, that's funny now. Sure. But that could have not been funny. That could have been a really shitty situation that's, for that's, so many different reasons. That's funny when you're 23. Yeah. And I was not 23. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think too, like going back to the, 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 the top of this of when you were like, cram sort of explain who you are. A lot of this, like <clears throat> you, you just said earlier that a lot of these things that were set up and these uh, conditions that favored or things that were covered up are starting to get sh- torn down. That's why. And as you said, like I've always been sort of the indie media guy, well, the game show experience and seeing, you know, big time show business, just a glimpse into how horrible it could be and what I would have to do. I'm not saying any, everyone that's famous did horrible things, but you, you, something you had to look the other way or you had to do something. There's no way all these Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks didn't know what the fucking Harvard, there's bullshit. They didn't know. That's and and the only, and they, they, they didn't, they either knew and said, or they just pretended, Oh, it's over there. Just like, there's a pro- there's problems in Yemen somewhere. Not yeah, my hassle. That thing we like, and families have done it for generations, yeah, okay. where it's like, don't be alone in the room. Like you know, it's good that Uncle Gary can come over, right? But don't leave Uncle Gary alone in the room with the girls. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's always been that you know cognitive dissonance that we can put in our minds. And to be honest, it's not 
completely gone because oh no, you know you hear things. We're just like, waking up to the fact that it was there, and but even in my own mind, like someone who recognizes why that is problematic, you know, that people look the other way clearly. But I know right now I'm looking the other way on some stuff because you hear you'll hear a thing or a something. But that person is far enough away from you in the chain of like, you're like, I'd have to do a lot of investigation to yeah. find out if that thing is actually true. Like you've heard a couple of bad stories about someone, but you're like, well, I don't really know that person. And right. I don't know, are these rumors or these blah, blah, blah. Like, and you you just go about your life because you're like, well, I don't really know that person, but I've just you know heard this thing. I don't know if it's true or not. Right. You put it, and you go about your life, right? We all do that in some way. Sure. And you're like, well, that's a version not the same version, but it's a version of Meryl Streep or whoever. Well, I, I, well, I'm not saying Meryl necessarily, but I'm... I, I Yeah, I agree with that up to a point. It's a version in the sense that, like, I don't know. Some guy I heard is there's this person or this guy or girl does creepy things. Whatever, I don't know, is a little different. I, I think it's that I can understand rather than... This guy that's helped give me a mantle full of gold Oscars has made me a multimillionaire I know is doing creepy stuff, so I'm going to just turn the other way because then the, the trophies get go away. Yeah. Like, So you and, think there's a difference between those things? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You did make quite a compelling point about the difference between those two things. You're right. So, yes. Yeah. It um, does seem like, uh, yeah, you're right. My, my thing was like, I don't really know that guy and I would have to become a private investigator to find out if this <laughs> is true. Whereas you're like, this person who has a vested interest in looking the other way is looking the other way. They are completely different examples. Yeah. Because yeah. again, it's like, it, it, well, going back to yeah. the Uncle Gary thing, that's not, I heard this neighbor yeah. that I barely talk with. I yeah. see him once a year to barbecue versus I'm allowing this guy yeah. in my home. Just don't let my yeah. daughters near like, woo. Yeah. Yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a leap of logic. That's yeah. like, and we need him here because uh, uncle Gary's the rich one. Yeah. yeah. You know, uncle Gary loaned us that thing yeah. or he helps, you know, yeah. we work for he, uncle he Gary the money for the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I work at uncle Gary's shop. So uncle Gary comes up, but we just don't, we don't leave the girls alone in the room. <laughs> just like, so I, I think like, I don't know, seeing, seeing like how Hollywood worked and everything. It's like, I, and I always sort of had, cause then I saw the, like, you're so dependent on work. Yes. This one person, one executive can go, you're gone. Your, your job's over. And it's just like, so I really, the, the indie stuff, especially the digital space you know, no one's going to cancel philosophy unless you decide you don't want to do it. You know, no one's going to say, and if you can generate money from it, and so the, all of that stuff, the podcast festival, raising money for earbuds, that was all done grassroots with fans, and I just would prefer it, even though there's definitely more money and stability, but there's money and stability in traditional show business. I mean, I, last year I just directed a TV series, this Native American stand-up series. We just sold it to Amazon Prime. It was awesome. But, and it was through public broadcasting, which has its own separate set of bureaucracy and politics and everything like that. But the same thing, we did this first ever Native American indigenous people stand-up series. It's never been done before. It was groundbreaking. We had an all-female one. It was just amazing. And still, the funding from this tribe for the, the PBS station, you know, they pull... It's still... I still was banking on a second season, and it didn't happen. 
And so it was like, oh, I didn't book myself on the road last fall because I thought I'd be shooting again. And it's just like, oh, whereas the only one responsible for my YouTube channel is me, you know, and the fact and like these tours, these like the Ron Placone and I doing these progressive comedy tours, we find the venues. We don't have a booking agent doing it. Um, part of that is we're not selling 500 tickets a venue. We're selling 80 to 100, but that's fine. But we're doing it all ourselves and we have control over it. So it's like, I don't need this chain of, because com- in America there's, you know, chains of comedy clubs. And if you fall out of favor with them, ooh, wow, there goes 20 weeks of your calendar versus we just find venues. I love the do it yourself. It's a shit ton more work, but I, I, we did it ourselves. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a feature filmmaker because I just hustled and did it versus trying to get funding and I got to sleep with Harvey Weinstein or whatever. Like I've never directed a $50 million movie, but I, I like what I've done. I'm proud of it. Um, even, so, okay. yeah, there's so much in this that I want to unpack because I think it is a really, like if you were doing this as a, you know, a movie or whatever, um, there's a clear, you know, if you're you're telling your story to be an analogy for, you know, a certain type. It's your big city lawyer, you know, who's successful, who goes back to the hometown reunion sure. and ends up hooking up with the, um, you know, the high school sweetheart. You yeah, know, now he's doing law, you know, law for farmers yeah, or whatever. Exactly, right? <laughs> but he's actually, he's really passionate about the law and he's not representing corporate criminals right. anymore and making billions of dollars that kind of feels like what your story is a bit in that you saw what it can be up close which is you know i can be this like you know even if you just ended up being like you know a famous funny game show host right if that was your entire career right but the thing that i would say about that is i bet that you have made so many more things that people actually give a shit about than like i think sometimes to get massive audiences it's hard to make something that people genuinely care about. Yeah. And sometimes you have to go smaller, but what ends up happening is that the people that it was for, for, it was for love that so much more than they loved, you know, the entire Avengers 20 movie sure. or whatever, because <laughs> they went into the Avengers. I mean, that is a silly position to have, but <laughs> I... <laughs> but I no, mean, the Avengers are fun. The Avengers yeah. are, are having cotton candy on a roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. But if that wasn't what you were about, like mm-hmm. if you know someone who likes your you know political YouTube channel are going to like that on a deeper level because they're like, this guy is is giving me a safe space to have a shared understanding of the world and work through what I think the world is about. And often when I look at the mainstream media. I see all these people like going about business and looking at the world in a way that doesn't make sense in my brain. It's like that first time you hear a song from an artist that you really, really connect to and you're like, oh, finally, somebody understands me. You know, someone else has the the same worldview as me or looks at things from the perspective I do. I feel like the things that you make now are, are, are so much more about that, you know? Yeah, for sure. And look, you know, I didn't get a lot of, hey, strip poker helped me get me through a really tough time. No. <laughs> you know, I, didn't, I didn't get through that. Right? I mean, and I'm sure there were, I, I got one letter from the, 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 when I did the game show Cram on the game show network from a mom saying, 
because they that show would air in the afternoon and again at night where strip poker was a late night show so cram they would you know and it was definitely cram was pg-13 and a mom saying look my 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 autistic daughter who's 10 watches your show and it, it's really awesome. And she connects with it because her, the, the way her brain works, it can. And I was like, wow, that's really, that's really cool. And, and just like, you know, I've done stand up early in my career and, and people just said, I'm paying attention. I'm also just yeah, yeah, making yeah. sure my dog doesn't choke on that. <laughs> Don't want to eat the uh, power cord, but yeah, like, you know, and I'm sure like, I remember doing, you know, on the road somewhere in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and someone, you know, before I was known by anybody before even social media, I was just like a road act. And they said, you know, a woman said, oh, you know, we, we, you know, every comic has these stories of like, oh, we just, we just got some bad news or we just buried my father today and it was great to come laugh. And all, you know, all I did was doing was road jokes and dating and dick jokes or whatever. And th- th- there's a value to that. You know, there's Absolutely a value, there's a value to the Avengers yeah. movie. There's a value to dancing to a Katy Perry song. Yes. You know, but now it's, it is more like it, it needs to have a, pr- and as, as I know, said, yes, very enthusiastically more at the idea rather than at Katy Perry, just for the record in case anybody <laughs> was like, wow, Will really loves Katy Perry. I was about to go, so do you, like you said that, like, yes, like, oh, I danced yeah. to Katy Perry all the time. No, I just liked the way that you had phrased it. And then I realized <laughs> that it could have come across like I really like Katy Perry and I felt like I needed to back over it. And so you and more. Justin Hamilton are just dancing to Katy Perry on yeah, the road. I kissed the girl and I liked it, we see, because <laughs> we both have and we both did like it. So the song holds up. I was like, this speaks my truth. No, no one's really ever put it like Katy. You know, California girls are unforgettable. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I, you know, I lived there for a while. I get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, I, I roar. I've run out of Katy Perry references. I don't know anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man. So it is. So it is like. Yeah. And and the stuff now when you when you connect with someone on a deeper level, and because when, when you're being honest and authentic about who you are and what's important, yeah. man, people just the, the the emails I've gotten, the people coming after the shows, uh, and I'm Could, sure we'll see it at these 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 shows yeah. we're doing on the road here in Australia of just people going, hey, thanks for speaking the truth and. You know, because the corporate media is just flat out lying. And but you- what you have, so we're going to get onto that. That that's going to be a big part of what we talk about. But I, I just want to set the set the table first. Um, okay. Uh, because doing what you do means that you have to. Because if you're the game show host, it's easy. You go on, you put on your sideburns and your <laughs> shiny ninety shirt. And you become the game show host. Right. But that's not you. Right. It's part of you. It's something that you can do and but you, but it's not you, right? If you are being even a director in something, you have a role, right? This is what I mm-hmm. need to do. This is what we need to achieve here. I am like, you know, putting this story together, but you know, other people are involved in this process. But to, to formulate your thoughts, particularly in regard to your political thoughts, you actually have to really work out what they are. Yeah. Like you have to examine uh, what you believe the world is about and what you believe your role to play in what the world is about is because to do what you do, you have to believe that what you have to say is important for people to hear. So I ask this question every episode, but I just think this is a nice place to ask it here. Do you have a philosophy? Do you have like a a worldview, a philosophy, a, a, like something that you would sum up as being your, you know, philosophy? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's Katy Perry's teenage dream. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> oh, you went one deeper than I did. I feel embarrassed. I feel as like you, were, you only ever need three references. As, as you were ramping into this, I was like, oh, I got to find, I got to yeah. think of another Katy. No, no, and and that's that's a really great question. Um, yeah, my philosophy on this. So I've always thought like one of the things. So the game show stuff happened. The 9-11 made me really reevaluate what am I doing with my life, you know, as a lot of people, especially Americans, like, oh, my God. And so I started doing shows in war zones, and I saw the value of that, of like... For the Taliban. For the Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, the, yeah. I'm the best Taliban comic <laughs> out there. <laughs> uh, I did the Jihad Room. It's fantastic yeah. club. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And so I saw the value in that, so I really started... Jihad, <laughs> Sorry, I, it was one second too late, but I was like, you know what? It's there. It's there. I might as well say it. You can't walk past it's it. It's my podcast. It is, yeah, you might as well. If you, if you can't hijack your own podcast. Exactly. Who am I saving it for? Yeah, really. Inside of my own head? No, no. You've tuned in. I provide you with free entertainment. Occasionally, you have to hear my bad puns. Um, so I, I really realized like my my goal is to, you know, I, I, I was put on this earth to make people laugh. And then... As I got, why you know, do you believe that? Um, because because look, uh, and I think we were born with a certain. I think the comedian, a true comic, a professional, a, a, a pure comic like we are, we were born with this brain. We were the fun. We 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 just viewed the world differently for whatever reason, and maybe this event or childhood trauma made it happen, this, that, or the other thing. But even if it didn't, we just have always been the ones that when everyone's talking seriously, we make the joke, you know, like, and we, we've fine tuned that on, on stage. And so we being funny is a skill that we possess. And it is a skill that, you know, like, especially like in America. So there's 330 million people roughly in America. There are less than a thousand. There's 800, maybe professional working comics making their living doing comedy so that there are 1500 guys that play professional football in the national football league just to give you an idea of how the percentage of what what we do is in terms of not no one 99 of the population can't do this they just can't so no i was um because i've been obviously very lucky to have a you know like a well-supported career here but um I, i got asked in an interview the other day they said you know, what's, what's the highlight of your comedy career? And I said, I'll be, this is a boring answer, but I'll be honest with you. It said it was when I was in the U S doing the rooms and I was earning enough money that if I didn't have my Australian career, that I would consider myself to be a perfect, that I would pay all my bills and my rent and whatever. And I mm-hmm. lived in a nice apartment and stuff by being a professional rogue comic in America. And for me, that was like, it felt because of what you said, that's that, you know, it felt like a graduation of sorts. I was like, if I took away everything else that I have, mm-hmm. this, I could just still call myself a professional comedian. It's, and it's like when I've had the, like the show, the TV shows go away and the, and the not getting that. And I was still just on the road making my living. And it, sometimes I'd be like, Oh God, I'm in the middle of Omaha mm. and I'm doing, I'm doing the, the jihad has yeah. or whatever, you know, the, the comedy club in the strip mall. I'd go, I would remind myself you're getting paid to make people laugh. And that is how you pay all of your bills. And again, I, I have a nice little one bedroom apartment by the beach in Santa Monica. I have a fantastic life. I can afford surfing and yoga and you can surf. You can do yoga. You can, 
do the art that is actually comes from inside you and share it with the world. So, okay. So if you were put on this earth to make people laugh or at least communicate through the medium of laughter, mm -hmm. because that feels, it feels like there's a difference to me as an outside observer to you. Early on, it might've been to make people laugh. Like you said, road jokes sure. and just like, you know what? It's enough that I'm here to just make people laugh. Nothing wrong with that. As you said, it's a beautiful thing. And sometimes just being funny is the greatest thing in the world. And it doesn't have to be about fucking something. Mm-hmm. But it feels to me that now you've gone, well, I have these skills. How can I use these skills to, you know, give the world a bit more of what is real to me and my worldview and talk about different things? So then it became, and this, this thing kind of was like, we did this a lot. We started to realize this with comedy film nerds. It was to inform and entertain. And so I just started, when I started to really like, I'm going to start paying attention to the world. It was after the 2016 election. And as I said, I think in the spoilers, other don't give me the result. Cause I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to binge the entire coverage. So I just please, I've been trying to avoid all 2016 elections. They haven't covered it much. So yeah. it, it would, you're going to have to do some digging. I've got some old daily shows I need to <laughs> get to, but I don't want to, I don't want the result because I won't be able to enjoy the jokes, you know? Oh, it was a little election. They have, yeah. it hasn't affected the world at yeah. all. Um, you know, I flew in like literally on, so I left Australia and Hillary was in front Yeah, and I landed in America and Trump had won. Yeah. That was, I was on the plane and I used to do this in my stand up, but it's an absolutely true story. Um, uh, uh, like the, 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 the pilot said, what did he say? He said, um, oh fuck, I've forgotten even how, I haven't done this for so long, but he said, uh, uh, oh yeah. Okay. So this is what he said. He goes, uh, uh ladies and gentlemen, we've landed in the United States of America um, and there is a new president of the United States. And then he says, surprise. <laughs> the pilot literally said surprise before he said it's Donald Trump because not one person getting on that plane thought that Donald Trump was going to get elected. Yeah. Like from the outside world, like I, I had been in America, so there was a bit of me that was like, Dave Anthony definitely told me this on a podcast at some stage, but, um, but a lot of people on the plane were just like, what the fuck? What have we just flown into? What just happened while we were in, on board mm -hmm. this plane? Mm -hmm. It was, yeah. Okay. So 2016, you were like, I, I need to. I, I, after 2016, I'm like, I got to do something more about this. Yes. And, and Earbuds um, was doing the festival circuit in, in 2016. And we were, it got into the Napa Valley Film Festival and, the, and I got invited uh, one of 20 directors for this um, artist in residence thing that they do. And it's a big prestigious festival and they take 10 uh, scripted directors and 10 doc directors. And you're up in this festival and they put you up in this fancy place. And it's a fantastic festival. It's very well supported. And we were driving up again in the morning, Hillary's one. And then as we got the six hour drive to Napa Valley, we're like, wait, what? And so all of us filmmakers, all lefty, liberal, whatever you want to call it, filmmakers, we're all at this thing going, and I had a hard time enjoying it. It's this beautiful, they put you up in this resort and then they feed you all day and then you just hang out and talk with filmmakers and you, you it, was, it was an amazing thing. Like, and I was, it was one of those things I'm like, do I belong with these like doc filmmakers who'd won Emmys? And they were like documentarians. They, that's their living, go out, cover these things. And I was like, Jesus, I've just done two movies, one going to war zones. And then one was just interviewing my knucklehead comedian friends and <laughs> flying around the world. But 
I, I was talking to this one woman who had a really, but I also, that, that was also made me go, no, what I belong here. I've, I've earned, I've, I, I, I deserve, you know, I, I've earned this. And I was talking to this one woman who had this amazing documentary and I said, so what do we do? She goes, Graham, we just keep talking. We just keep pointing our cameras and talking and, and, and showing the world what's going on. That's what we have. That's what, that's what documentary filmmaking is all about. That's even what scripted filmmaking is all about when it's done correctly. I mean, like a movie like Spotlight is a, is a fantastic use of that medium based on a true story, but bringing it to a wide audience and stuff. So I just said, okay. True story about the creation of the Australian fabric. fabric tra- oh, God. That was oh, such been, a good God, joke. Was, oh, there was a good joke coming. Fa- fabric ch- chain. Anyway, so you wouldn't have got the joke, but uh, the, the, uh, where you would go and buy... Um, uh, you know, materials to make clothing or, you know, whatever. What, I don't know what you call that. Haberdashery? Is that haberdashery? I don't know what haberdashery That's is. for hats. Is it? Oh, yeah. damn. Uh, linen? I want to say sheets? No, it's not that. It's like materials. You right. know, like if you're on Project Runway and you had sure. to go and get the shit to make your Textiles, clothes. Textiles, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, there's a prominent chain in Australia called Spotlight. I was making a joke that the movie about uncovering, uh, you know, pedophiles in the church was actually about this uh anyway guys jokes are fun jokes are fun guys um so like she said that to me i was like yeah you're right and then my friend uh jimmy door um you know who i've known for years we started in chicago and and i knew he had had this political podcast and i hadn't talked to the guy in a couple years kind of like you know you and i haven't seen each other in three years and you know and i and i called him to say hey i need you know uh, we had just gotten a you know we just started selling earbuds was for sale. So I was like, just calling up all my podcast friends. Hey, can I promote? And, and I came on the show and his podcast had blown up. He had a couple hundred thousand subscribers. He had converted his garage to this nice studio and he was doing hardcore politics and, and having me on the panel. And so we would talk seriously and joke about it. And he started saying, you should, you know, I talked about losing my home to foreclosure and, and, and all that stuff. And, um, it, it, it and he said, you should really do this. So I was like, okay. And I remember Christmas Eve of 2016, I bought a tripod for an iPhone. And, and I said, you know, I told him I don't have the money for all the studio. And he goes, just start talking. What they respond to on YouTube is personality and authenticity. And you've got both of those. You're authentic, be, be honest. And so I just said, this is what I'm going to do. And then as I started doing it, and I started to do 10 to 12 videos a week, and I've been doing that since January of 2017. And what is the aim with the videos? Like, and what was it at the start and what is it now? Well, what is it just like, I want to, I want to get out first at the start. It was just like, I need to be more informed. Yeah. So I'm going to just do this research and talk about it. Yeah. And then as I started doing it and seeing how the corporate media in America, and I'm assuming here too, just from what I've glimpsed at watching is lying. No, 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 no. Rupert Murdoch's <laughs> from here, but he didn't affect this country in any way. <laughs> and you won't read anything different because he owns all the media. <laughs> Yeah, we gave the world that curse. I mean, you know, we were complaining about uh, how people are are slow in Adelaide to buy tickets, but it's not the worst thing they did. They gave (laughs) us the Murdochs. I mean, the the world is in the trouble that it's in because of, you know, Rupert fucking Murdoch from Adelaide, Australia. You know, what he did to the American, you know, 
news cycle and what he did to the British tabloid news cycle, you look at Trump, you look at Brexit, you can draw a direct line between, you know, Rupert Murdoch coming out of Adelaide and the newspapers. And again, it's also, we are so used to the effect of the Murdochs, you know, in this country because they have been a, a media family and we've seen it export all over the world. And at some stages, I think, well, certainly because he owns most of the newspapers, it's reported as an international success story. It's only been in the last... 10 years or so where, you know, people have really started to ask decent questions around, you know, should we be proud of exporting the worst aspects of modern media all over the world? (laughs) It's like, yeah, so it's it's sort of transformed into now I want to cover the stories that the mainstream media is not covering or showing how they're lying. Yes. And it started to really inform my comedy because then Jimmy would have me on his show to do panel. And some of it is just joking about how ridiculous it is. And then when he started doing his show live, the first one I ever did was at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, California. And it was in like spring of 2017. And he had only done like two or three live shows at that point. And he goes, come on panel. And I got to tell you, I've had amazing audiences, especially like as we've talked about the podcast, the live show podcast audience is one of the greatest things, especially comics like us that came traditional and found podcasting later in our lives. Like, oh, my God, this is the best audience you could ever find. I mean, and the fun we had, those those glory days of the L.A. podcast festival, like, you know, just us roaming from show to show like it was like the equivalent of like jamming or yes like and what you thought comedy was when you first went into it which was just funny people hanging out with other funny people and making each other laugh and these huge audiences of people who were also just digging the exact same vibe it was like it was now you know i mean podcasting itself has become you know much more widespread and now you know infected by those same corporate medias and big companies and all these sort of things but they were the pirate radio Wild West days where it was just still like there was no financial None. incentive to be a podcaster. <sighs> and the people who found it as an audience believed they were also in on something special that not everybody else knew. You about found yet. a secret club. Yeah. You found a secret club. So that vibe with the Jimmy Dore show is intensified because not only is it you're on the inside track, you're on the inside track of. They're all lying to us. Mm. Fox News, MSNBC, CNN. You know, they're all lying to us. And then we're making jokes. And I started landing just, I would just riff. He would show these clips and I wouldn't see them ahead of time. And I would just riff. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm good at this. I'm good. I've always been good at riffing. But now because I'm doing 12 videos a week, I'm informed. So the great thing is that also you have such a great, Foil, because comedy is often about calling the gap between what is reality and right. what is perceived to be reality. And at the moment, our idea of what is perceived to be reality is so out of whack with, with reality. As soon as you can recognize that and then cut through that bullshit and call it, of course, you have so much to mm-hmm. actually work with. But being informed is part of that process because without you being informed and across those issues to then be able to go, oh, this is bullshit, this is bullshit, this is why this is bullshit, yeah. this is complete <laughs> yes. nonsense because I also know this. And But you need a level of your, yourself being – because you can't the, – the reason the bullshit works is that the bullshit isn't apparent that it's bullshit unless you have done some work to work out why it is bullshit. It's presented to you as if it is not bullshit. Yeah. This is, and so as I was waking up, 
to the fact that this is bullshit. The fact that, oh, I thought Obama was amazing. Well, you know, he dropped more bombs than Bush. He, <laughs> you know, he let the, he gave the bank $700 billion and did nothing and let them 5.2 million foreclosures happened. Yeah. But uh, prevented it from ever happening again. Oh, so, yeah. Cause all been regulated. It's good. It won't happen. It's all good. Definitely will never no, happen. It's, again. There isn't uh, a ticking clock and it's going to happen within the next 12 months. Uh, let's, you know, look, it depends when this podcast comes out. Whatever this Could have already happened. Could- <laughs> This doesn't drop for a couple of weeks. It's really out of date. So, like, uh, I started to find this voice. And then Ron Placone and I, who's a regular on Jimmy's show, so, and we, we each, like, I do live streaming once a week, and he does a live streaming several days a week. And some fans that watch both of our shows go, you guys should do a progressive comedy tour. And Jimmy was just starting to take his show live. And like, so Ron and I said, let's test the waters on this. And we went to a handful of cities in May of 2018. And we did it again in June. And we were like, and we like sold out Louisville, Kentucky, which is red state. We sold out Asheville, North Carolina. North Carolina is kind of a red state. It's becoming more purple. Asheville is definitely a hippie mountain town. But we were like, wait a minute. Like this, 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 we're on to something. And the fans that showed up were like, this is awesome. And then as Jimmy started doing like in July of, 17 Jimmy did port or he did uh well he did a couple cities that I wasn't on on the road with him for but he did Chicago and he sold out a 600 seat theater in Chicago from his YouTube channel not his comedy central specials not his late night tv appearances YouTube yeah and that's and all those names went on a list yeah that is now kept at the (laughs) CIA (laughs) 600 people some of them in the intelligence community I'm sure all Um, of those people flagged (laughs) But it was like, and I'm telling you, and that show, they're like, Graham, you want to go do like eight to 10 minutes at the yeah. top of the show before we do the whole panel part. And and his wife, Steph Zamorano, goes, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the political vigilante, Graham Elwood. And by the time they got to vigilante, there was applause, like people went nuts. And I was like, and these live shows I did with Jimmy, I remember the first one I walked off stage and I was like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever done. Because not only was it like landing political jokes that some of them don't work in front of a neoliberal audience in L.A. that thinks the Democrats are amazing and racism didn't start until Trump was elected, you know, um, and can't they don't understand why Trump got elected. And then I'm doing stuff and people are just like because we're calling out both parties are corrupt. The media is corrupt. Everything's corrupt. And then even like making a point that didn't have a punchline at the end of it, it wasn't trying to be funny, just making a point would get applause. And people were just like, thank you and coming up to you and hey man, thanks for telling your story about your foreclosure. I lost my home too. Or or, or I had no idea. Right. I thought the stimulus helped everybody. And I, you know what? Can we just pause for a second? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're back. So um, you then have to decide whether you're saying things to a crowd because you know that they will be things that will elicit a good response um, versus balancing, do I have opinions that will be unpopular to this crowd because they will challenge them? Because if you get into a thing where you're just like, well, we're all on the same page and I'm just now literally saying things that will 
make you all applaud or you will all laugh because we all have exactly the same worldview, which doesn't really seem to be your worldview. Like as in like you, you are a person who is constantly evolving clearly and like trying to get a deeper understanding of what it is that you do and who you are and what your voice is. So how do you then balance once you have this audience who, who like what you do and like the ideas you have to keep challenging yourself to be constantly reassessing whether you're not just signing up to another form of dogma that is as much a, you know, it is much a worldview and fantasy that doesn't fit in with the world as the complete opposite of it is. I feel like that, 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 man, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I think that the thing of, and one of the things I've said early on, on, on my YouTube show, I, I, and I say this not just for my audience, but for me, as I say, look, I just want to get it right. I just want to get the truth. And I said, you might not agree with what I say and I might get it wrong. And if I get it wrong, I'll, I admit it. I got it wrong. I'm like, I'm just a guy doing his YouTube channel in his apartment. I don't have a team of researchers and everything else like this. So I say, if I get it wrong, I'll own it. And I go, even if you don't agree with me, know that it's my decision. I came up with this. Honestly, there's not a producer in my ear going, Hey, they're an advertiser back off. So, and I think, you know, comedically I so that's that's my thing I'm just calling out and I'm just seeing that there's there's like I say this I go in America there's not two political parties there's two classes and this is around the world there's the ruling class and everybody else and when you the more you investigate it actually becomes quite simple I had dinner last night with Caitlin Johnstone who's who's a journalist that I got a crazy amount of respect for and we were just talking about that once you start investigating the specifics are different but the theme is the same. This group of powerful people <laughs> are abusing their power and they're hiding stuff and they're manipulating and they're using propaganda. I mean, I challenge you to find a single example of where that's the case. <laughs> Just name one. Name, name, name one. one. Just one. <laughs> one aspect of society, one service we use on a daily basis, one company that is set up in a way... <laughs> Where that happens. Name one politician. Name one. If you can name me one multinational company that's making super profits off the back of not paying taxes in most of the territories where it makes it super profits, then then maybe. If you can name (laughs) one. Name one. Just one. One. If you can name any disruptive company that's come in and destroyed an industry based on the fact that it's basically a shell corporation that will never make a fucking profit and relies on paying its drivers so little until the fucking robot cars take over. If you can Name, name one. one. Name one. Just one. Or <laughs> one four-letter company. The, if you can name, name one. Name one. Name one industry that yeah. exploits uh, third-world countries because it has resources uh, that it needs and creates war for that profit. If you can name one. 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 If you can name one technology company <laughs> that manipulates our worst prejudices for the sake of collecting our data to sell to advertisers. If you can just name, name one. one. Name one. What are you going to tell me next? One of these big technology companies has actually been working with the CIA to gather this information, to monitor what we're doing, and to keep continued dissent because if the 99% realize there's more of them than the 1%, they will overthrow this ruling class. If you could prove one, 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 one time, just one time. One example. One, <laughs> one, one, one rigged election. If you can name, name one, one. One rigged election. Come on. Our elections don't get rigged. They, um, the New Zealand Bird of the Year is a competition that is currently online. It was revealed this week it has been uh, the election has been hacked by Russian bots 
They're rigging New Zealand Bird of the Year just to keep their hand in for 2020. Like, <laughs> got some downtime between Brexit and 2020, so we're yeah. going to rig this New Zealand Bird race. Yeah, they... <laughs> just to t- test the algorithm, see if, see if we've still got it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, okay, so, all right then. If you... You have a worldview that, you know, like, because this is, I always find it hilarious when somebody, um, because I like to, you know, my style of exploring the world is to try to have an open mind to a whole bunch of different voices and funnel them through and then present ideas that are probably less radical than what I actually believe in a way that is palatable to a mainstream audience. Okay, so I'll give a better example there. The margins that I work in, where I think I do my best work is taking an idea that might already what might ordinarily be unpalatable or at least not thought of by that audience who have just come in to see the show and nudging them a little one way. You know, they're at the door and they're deciding whether they can open it or not and I'm just going to show them how they can open it. You know, that's the margin where I do my best work. Taking ideas that are probably less extreme than what I actually believe if I was going to tell my 110% um, you know unbiased truth on stage but the work that I think I do best is taking some of those ideas to an audience that wouldn't necessarily ordinarily connect with those ideas but yes Uh, and I think that's and that's a big thing of what I'm what I'm trying to do is like show people the corruption and propaganda that we've been received for years right and, and and you you learn why this was covered. Like I was just in Russia in September, and so we've always been told. I'm sure you guys were a big bad Soviet Union, Russia bad, Russia bad. Even the last three years, they hacked our elections. Did they? Probably. Is that why Hillary lost? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, like both those things can be true. Both those things can be true. It's not either or. Um, yeah. and, and also, at the end of the day, Hillary didn't lose for a reason. In the same way as no one sure. ever loses for a reason, yeah, they lose for a they lose for a whole, they win for a whole bunch of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Like Trump didn't win because everybody who voted for Trump is a racist. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous to say. And Hillary didn't lose for one reason. No, she didn't campaign in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Putin didn't prevent her from doing that. You know, the super delegates on and on. I can go through that on and on. So, so one of the things as I'm opening as I'm learning stuff. I'll give you an example, and I'm seeing like how the ruling class has kept us divided. And so I learned about Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton was a young man, early 21, 22 years old, was head of the Black Panther Party in Chicago in the late 60s. And there was a neighborhood in Chicago. The the comic book fan club, right? (laughs) The Marvel character Black Panther. Yeah, 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 he's a big comic book guy. Um, So... Just to give you and and anybody, especially the Australian audience listening, a little Chicago history lesson. So after the Civil War ended, um, a lot of Southerners, uh, white and black, freed slaves and just came north because the Industrial Revolution started shortly after the American Civil War in the late 1800s. And so Chicago was one of these many northern cities that started getting industry. And Chicago had a lot of factories and it was called the hog butcher to the world. So a lot of people, freed slaves came up uh, and southern whites came up. And there's a neighborhood in Chicago. I wasn't even aware of this called Hillbilly Harlem, which was basically poor southern whites came up. And what a lot of them came up with their Confederate flags and racist points of views. And they were in the Klan. And Fred Hampton 
went to them and said, capitalism is causing racism. Capitalism. And it was like, huh? All these Dr. Martin Luther King speeches about socialism, about anti, why are we spending money in Vietnam when there's poor people in America? We don't hear those speeches. We hear the I have a dream speech, which is a fantastic speech. But Fred Hampton starts the first ever Rainbow Coalition with the Black Panthers and Southern whites and gets many of them to like see that their racist views and their Confederate flags are offensive and they were set, it's designed to pit them against each other because the ruling elites are profiting from their labor in a very socialist working man's, working person's rights. Fred Hampton does this. He starts to unify people and the Chicago police and the FBI executed him. Broke into his home, said he had guns, blah, blah, blah. This is a couple months after they had just killed Bobby Kennedy, who had his own awakening, realizing, you know, Bobby Kennedy was like, why are we spending money in Vietnam when, when, and so uh, when there's poor people, poor white people, poor black people in America, here we are cut to 40 God, 50 years later. A UN just did a report. There's 30 million Americans living in third world conditions. And again, how are we going to pay for Medicare for all? How are we going to pay for this Green New Deal? They never ask how we're going to pay for the seven wars we're in. So when I start to learn how we've been lied to, I realize this is the opportunity to talk about this, the margins where you operate in. I'm like, this is how you unify people. And I've started to have some Trump supporters and stuff come over to my live stream. And I don't say, well, you're a dumb, deplorable racist. I go... You voted for him, why? Because he ran on an anti-interventionist stance, didn't you? You voted him because he said he was going to help the working man, right? I get that. And I point Bring out- Bring American jobs back to America. Yes. And I'm an American who needs a job. Yes. And my job was going to China or whatever. And like he said that he was going to fix that. Yeah. So I show to them, I stick with the facts. I go, Trump gave a $1.5 trillion tax break to billionaires. You didn't benefit from that, did you? Neither did I. His trade tariffs with China. It's trickle down, I believe. Oh, but absolutely. I just believe like, very soon. Very soon. Just very soon hang tight. It's just going to trickle. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's just going gonna... to come through your window and just... just the... haven't, yeah, just haven't given it enough trickle time. Yeah, it's, just... it's a trickle, <laughs> trickle, you know? It's not a ba- It's not going to fill your bathtub up overnight. No, it's a trickle. Trickle. Patience. Just trickle. You know what? We better give him another tax cut just so that just... maybe we can... You know what? It'll trickle quicker oh. if we... Cut their taxes. There we go. The reason it's not trickling fast it's enough not tr- is that they're paying too much tax. <laughs> when Amazon, who made $11.2 billion yeah. profit in 2018, yeah. paid $0 in taxes yeah. and also gets a tax break, I, I start pointing that out well, to people. it's important that they get that because otherwise they can't afford to pay their workers properly. Oh, oh shit. Oh. But I mean, the, that's the strongest union in America is the Amazon. Oh, wait, they don't, oh, you know, oh, they don't have a union there. Yeah. Oh. Well, I think all this, you know, testing drone delivery systems will be good for jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Once they deliver with drones, that'll, that'll be good. That'll fix it all. And it won't be an invasion of your privacy. No, it'll be fine. No. Anyway, they deserve to have the most money in the world. They yeah. worked out that people like to buy things. Yes. So, I mean... We should reward absolutely the people who worked out that people like to buy. The, we should reward the people with the biggest shop with the most money. Surely. Of course, because Jeff Bezos has one hundred and fifty-eight billion dollars, yeah. and if he spent half of that and made all of his employees union, he would improve millions of people's lives. He can't live on seventy-five billion dollars. What's well, he going to do? I know. How's he? What go to bed worried every night? No. How is he going to sell us stuff from his sh- sh- online well, shop? Well. 
Polo horses don't feed themselves. So let's... Uh, I bet these working on technology to get the polo horses <laughs> to feed themselves. <laughs> I mean, when he's not working out how to fucking go to Mars or like yeah. extend his life for another 200 years. Yeah, Cryo freezes yeah. brain. Well, it's very much an example of, of course, in the age where capitalism, which... The, the thing that I always say about capitalism is... I just that, want to say this real quick yeah, about go, the margins. Please, but so, so when I start finding where the comedy is in revealing those lies... I have so much joy and that's been informing my stand up and my and my videos, which is why I love doing it. But but um people hate when I bang on about capitalism on this podcast. Uh, but uh look, the the people who hate that have already tuned out of this episode. Yeah. So I feel like we've now created a safe space where I believe and this is why this is why capitalism is good. Capitalism can be good in a way that if you can move a third world economy into a first world economy, it is a very effective tool to do that. And often that can provide um, opportunity. So the entry point, much like the Star Wars franchise, it starts well. It just gets progressively worse. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is capitalism, right? Yeah. It's pretty good at the start. It moves you from like one thing into another thing and it's this whole new world and it's and it creates opportunity for people and the free market can be a really good thing to move people out of poverty into mm-hmm. like the middle class and all these sort of things. But because of the way that it works, it is built into capitalism that the rich continue to get richer and eventually the poor get poorer again. And so that immediate effect of everybody having opportunity eventually splits off into this thing where a small amount of people have most of the stuff and a large amount of people don't have anything. And I'm not even, and I don't know if there is a And tell me why having knowing recessions are built into it. Tell me how that's a good thing. That's your system of like when people. Well, like, that's what I'm. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? Like, like, there isn't. It is. It's like introducing cane toads in Australia to get rid of the fucking whatever it was that the cane toads came in to eat. But now the cane toads are everywhere, and right. they're poisonous, and they're like noxious, and they're a fucking plague, and you can't kill them. Like it's. That's what capitalism is. You know, it's the cane toad of. <laughs> of systems, and we treat it like it's this flawless you know, perfect system that you just let the free market decide. Well, well the free market can't be trusted to make those decisions. The free market right? created a lot of these problems. So there needs to be some universal set of what we believe every human being should get. Mm-hmm. We need to have a worldwide conversation about where we believe the safety net is, where we believe the bottom line is. Yeah, And I think within that, you can still say once everybody has... Yeah, accommodation, yeah, food Food, to eat every day, like clean, clean, clean water, a good environment, those sort of things. As soon as she probably just wants to sit on your lap. Um, So, (laughs) Ramona, don't go face first. Monies, come here. You can come here. Um, If that's not going to make for good podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, until you have a dog right in my face. What's up? You can come to me. You can get in my face. Um, so if there were, were a system, because like the world ain't going to fucking change to us all sharing everything equally overnight, right? Is there a version of the system? And I ask this as a question, not put it forward as a proposal, where the conversation we get to is, this is what we believe every human being should have the opportunity to. And once everybody's got that, all bets are fucking off. 
Or is, right. do you know what I mean? Like you can still make more money. You can still work harder. You can still be rewarded for good ideas. Innovation, because the argument is always that, oh, well, innovation won't happen in the same way. Innovation can still happen. Right. But we don't want a system where Jeff Bezos has more than like 70% or 80% or whatever the fuck percent of the world he has more than. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's, you can start earning that sort of money once everybody has enough. When 22 families have as much money as the bottom half population of the world, we got to iron that one out. <laughs> that just seems like a kink in the system. Yeah. Like how can any independent observer, particularly when the numbers are so stacked in that favor, most of us are in the other bit. Right. <laughs> like it's not even aspirational. It's not like any of us are sitting around dreaming, oh, well, one day I'll be Jeff Bezos. Like, that's never a system that works out for anybody else in the world. Or maybe I'll be part mm -hmm. of the Walmart family. Yeah. Like, there's not an aspirational nature to that. There's an exclusionary nature to right. that, right? And there is also a worldwide... Once you think that people deserve that much more money than everybody else, everything in the world is out of whack. Yes. Because no one's labor or value or whatever to their fucking company is worth that many times more there than There should the, be no more billionaires. Yeah. You can make... Millions, tens of millions even. I'll even let you make $100 million. Mm. If you busted your ass and came up with a great idea and it worked and it innovated and helped things, awesome. But like you say, the minute that money that you're making starts creating homelessness and poverty and people dying because they don't have health care, which happens in America, the richest country in the history of the human race, then you're, no, that we're done. So... Um, it, yeah, it's, there are some countries I know that have systems whereby they set a, a margin for what... So, so if you're a CEO of a company, you can only ever earn, say, let, let's say it's 10 times as much as your worst pay, paid employee of that corporation, right. right? So if you want to go from earning $10 million to $20 million, it means that you have to make sure that the person, the, the cleaner who was on... $30,000 a year has to go up to $60,000 yep. or whatever, you know, whatever the math yeah, is yeah. on that. That's not the math. But, you know, that you have to, everybody has to yep. do better for you to be able to do better. Maybe there is some value in that sort of system where it, because like, how do we get from what we have now to what would be better than what we have now? I guess is the question I'm asking. That's a great question. And I think some of it is... Um, I, I, I don't know, like there's these big tax proposals in America by people like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I think there's, I think it's some version of that, something that says no. Like when I hear that in America, so the big thing is like, they always say it like, and I brought this up earlier, how are we going to pay for it? They always say, how are we going to pay for it? And I say, well, wait a minute. First, let's tax all the companies making billions of dollars. Right. Let's let them actually pay tax and not give tax breaks there's a bunch of money I just created. Right. Once we get everybody to play by the same rules, yeah. then we can have an honest conversation about how we pay for shit. Yeah. But I imagine if we just get everyone to play by the rules and pay their right share, and that we might find that we actually do have the money uh, for But this. we have the money to pay for the shit. I guess if we, we don't, America doesn't need to spend the next 10 countries combined on military, I bet you we can, if we cut our military budget in half, we would still outspend Russia and China. Yeah. So there we go. There's, I mean, I just, I just created trillions of dollars on those things right there. Uh, let's maybe not give subsidies to the oil companies. They're getting subsidies. Like, why can't independent, why don't comedian podcasters, why don't I get a subsidy? 
Why can't I get a subsidy and a tax break to bring entertainment to the people? I went overseas to entertain the United States military in war zones. How come I didn't get a tax break? How come, you know what I mean? Why I put my life on the line to entertain uh, an all-volunteer military. Why didn't, you know, why does yes, Jeff Bezos? Yeah, but, you know, you're not talking about the horrible consequences that stand-up comedy has to the environment. <laughs> So I feel like they're it's two really completely awful. different things. You know? I mean, so, comedians eating pizza in a green yeah. room has really decimated our rainforests. Yeah. I mean, we really got to get our lobbyists to do better work on our behalf. <laughs> that's, that's the problem with comedy. Do you know how many CO2s are yeah. released by dick jokes? Do you have yeah. any idea, Will? I mean, it's just, I mean, look, this is, it's been covered up for too long. <laughs> comedians have been afraid to talk about it. Oh, God. Somebody, one of my fans coined the term Big Kale because <laughs> the oil lobby has coined the term Big Green. They're right. trying to get that propaganda yeah. out there that the green, like the Sierra Club is yeah. really sticking. But they're the same. Yeah. And it's like, so yeah. I we made a joke about this on the show. And this guy was like, oh, well, Graham's in the lobby of Big Kale. It's just like fucking hilarious. Yeah. To me. Just being paid by the lucrative kale industry. That's what they're doing. But I the mean, truth of it is that if kale became as popular as Coca-Cola, there would be kale lobbyists and there would be, yeah. you know, because that's how the system works. They would understand that to be getting the concessions for suddenly there would be massive concessions for kale because kale was the most popular, powerful, right. you know, organization in the country. And suddenly like, you know, you know, the head of kale is the new Jeff Bezos and he's shutting other, you know, leafy vegetable competitors out of the market. Yes, because, yes, like, you know what I mean? like, The yeah. spirulina guys yeah, just got so crushed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> old fucking old mate Iceberg just down on his farm crying, just like, I can't get a break in this market. I was the original. I've been running out of town by this fucking kale disruptor. Um. Okay, so give me a little uh, snapshot of, uh, give me a snapshot of 2020. I'm actually interested in from the election. So I was having a conversation with um, uh, the makeup artist at my television show, and she's uh, originally American, and we were talking about the next election, and she was, um, and I said, I said, I'm I'm worried, and maybe it's because I listened to enough, you know, people who put this idea in my head, but. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm still worried that despite everything that we've seen and all the evidence we now have that they didn't have in 2016, that none of it will matter and Trump will get re-elected. What, what is your current thought about the state of American politics coming into the 2020 election? Well, I think democracy's thriving, Will. I think... Uh... <laughs> Great, because I have... You know what? I haven't actually checked the papers today. So, if that is if that is turned around, is if that is the overnight news, then I am I'm pleased to hear it. Um, so I believe way more people. I think honestly, as much as I don't like Trump, I think Trump needed to happen. I think America, like an alcoholic, needed to hit rock bottom, mm -hmm. and Trump was rock bottom yeah. for our political system. It's completely broken. The fact that he was even allowed. Like when I was in the eighties, there was a guy. I don't know if you know his name. David Duke was the head of the the, the, the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. He ran. It was a joke. He never even got close. Mm. It was never going to happen. Uh, now, Trump's a little different. He's a businessman. He's not a Klan head. I mean, he definitely has his racism and his xenophobia and all that stuff. Mm. Um, so, so what I'm seeing is the DNC is trying to stack it against Bernie the exact same way as last time. 
Now they made this bullshit thing. We, we're only going to allow superdelegates if they moves to a second ballot. So what they're trying to do is they're bringing Liz Warren in, who's a fake progressive. She was a Republican until she was 47. She um, uh, voted to give Trump $80 billion extra dollars for the war machine in October of 2017. She's fantastic in that regard. She flip-flops on Medicare for All, pending on the day of the week. Um, she was a Republican until the DNC moved far enough to the right that she's now in the DNC. Yeah, that's it. She never moved. That's so, oh, no, I believe. She's, I don't know why you're saying that. I'm not consistent. I literally believe the same things that I used to. Yeah. It's just, oh, no, they changed. Yeah, exactly. She she was a she was a Reagan-era Republican. Let's say who she was, you yeah. know. Um, and, uh, and so... But she's positioned as being the sort of... Same as Bernie, which yeah. she is not. She okay. is absolutely not. Um, that, without me doing deep reading into this, I, I was obviously aware that she used to be a Republican, but your perception would be that her and Bernie are... It's like that's where those you know, progressive votes will go to her or Bernie, would be the outside perception of without yeah. you know, digging into it. I what think. they're trying to do is then peel progressive votes off of Bernie into her so that they move, they got to be a second ballot, and the second ballot is where the superdelegates can come in and fuck them. Because Bernie, look, the DNC, both parties are run by the big, the, the, the healthcare lobby and big pharmaceutical companies give to both political parties equally. Mm. That's why we don't have free healthcare in America. Mm. So... Um, but that, I mean, if they had free healthcare, then how could they afford to give all those donations to the political yeah. parties? So, you know what I mean? Good point. Yeah. Um, so what I'm seeing though is way more people are paying attention. Still a good system that the election cycle is mostly constant and it can only be entered into by billionaires. Though, right? Yeah, that's that's a great system. It's it, fine. Yeah, eighteen months long. Yeah. Uh, for-profit networks uh, talking about it like it's the goddamn sports, like it's like yeah. it's it's ridiculous. Um, so how would they pay for all that if it yeah. wasn't for the medical companies and the pharmaceutical companies? Is what I'm saying. That's a good point. You know what I mean? Um, Can't stop those wars. Where would all those donations? Come I know. From where those are you going to go? Military companies. Yeah, exactly. How will we pay for this constant election cycle that we're now in? Yeah. What are you going to do? How is that going to pay for? What are we going to do? Not spend all this money? Yeah. Just compete on some sort of ideas basis. Oh, wow. Get the money out of politics, make elections three months long. Yeah. And I don't know. Just Everyone like, has to start a podcast. Yeah. We listen to each of the podcasts and we make up our mind. How yeah. much information do we need? We have like <laughs> two or three debates in yeah. that three months and the politicians yeah. are asked long form questions to give long form answers to yeah. get their complex positions out there and the, and the yeah. democracy decides. And then people just decide. Wow. Ugh, horrible system. Yeah, I mean, horrible system. Yeah, it's going to put a lot of people out of work. Yeah, yeah so. really, really. It's going to put a lot of people out of work. Um, so I'm seeing the system that is highly broken. Well, it's not broken. It's no. fixed for the for the ruling class. Yeah, the system works exactly how the it, people who set up the system expect the system it to, to work. work. Yeah. What is happening, yeah. more people are paying attention. In fact, now. more and more it, it does that. Yeah, it's totally designed, and but more people are waking up. And I think... You know, the internet and social media is more powerful than it's ever been, which is why they've tried to get rid of net neutrality, which is why they've, uh, they see all these bots and propaganda used to sway, uh, by America, like, uh, against its own people to, to, to keep people divided, distracted and afraid. That's the whole purpose. Cause they want us red state, blue state, Republican, Democrat, black, white, male, female. They want all those things in there. So what's happening. Graham, is, but it's almost as if you're saying that if we stop fighting against each other, we'd realize who the real enemy was. And we'd know that there was heaps more of us than there is of them. And then we would just go after them and redistribute everything. But I'm too busy worried about this person who's actually in a worse situation than me coming yeah. to take my stuff. 
Yeah. Because I read about it in that media that I own. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I would agree with you, but your hippie bullshit is offensive to me. So we, you and I should exactly. fight. Exactly. Put uh, down your kombucha so <laughs> yeah. and fucking... <laughs> Um, How do you, um, so there will be some people even listening to this who say, okay, now tell me more about the election. And but but, we'll I, but I, Sorry, what, I'm, what my, my point is, is though more people are starting to yes. pay attention. What happened recently that I find significant. So in my, this is just my belief. Tulsi Gabbard and Bernie Sanders uh, had a meeting in, in January of this year uh, prior to both of them announcing. Tulsi Gabbard was vice chair of the DNC. She stepped down when the Podesta emails came out and backed Bernie. That pissed off Hillary Clinton. But Tulsi and Bernie, I think they, their meeting was, hey, Bernie said, hey, Tulsi, most people don't know who you are. So when you're running, get your voice out there. She's done that. She's gotten more people to know who she is. But she's said a lot of the things that Bernie feels and his campaign feels. I don't know that I agree with him, but he it's definitely clear. He can't complain about 2016 because he'll say sour grapes. He can't call out Hillary Clinton because because uh, it's all that stuff. Then he's a sexist and all that shit that she tried to pull with him, right? So so if you watch, um, Tulsi Gabbard has pointed out the corruption of the Democratic Party. Tulsi Gabbard called out Kamala Harris in a debate, which was fantastic. Uh, and then what happened that was a, a mirror, a, Bernie's heart was bad, but now he's come back stronger than ever, which shows a lot of people have had those stints, right? So his... Tulsi Gabbard said, "Why are, if you're going to ask about Bernie's age on the last debate, you should ask all of our health. Even though I'm the youngest one here, it still should ask, are all of you healthy? Are all of you working out? Told, and then... Because it would be a shame to replace you know, our current f- fitness freak president with someone who wasn't as healthy as Donald Trump. <laughs> You know I, mean? I know the guy, yeah. the guy that gets Wendy's in the White House. Yeah. It looks like he's always on a Coke bender. Yeah. No, he's fantastic. Yeah. Drinks twelve Diet Cokes a day or whatever it is. Yeah, and yeah. then goes to a tanning salon. Yeah, exactly. He's fantastic. Yeah, okay. he's the pinnacle of health. The guy's at the peak of his physical powers yes. <laughs> and mental acuity. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, I'm seeing, and I think Bernie and Tulsi are like, we know how they're going to screw us. So this is our strategy. So then when Hillary called Tulsi a Russian asset and Tulsi came back and said, called Hillary Clinton the queen of warmongers and then got more press than I've ever seen anybody get so far, I was like, this is huge. And then when AOC and Omar and uh, I forget the other, other, the third endorsed Bernie, that was like, that blew up the identity politics that they have to endorse Liz Warren or Kamala Harris. It blew that up to show Bernie's policies. And here's what's happening in the debates, because I'm watching all of them. We're talking about Medicare for all. The word socialist is not a dirty word anymore. It was a dirty word, always tied to the Soviet Union. It was just, it was like saying Stalin, you know? And now it's like, no, I'm a socialist. I'm a democratic socialist. And Bernie Sanders doing a Fox Town Hall. What's starting to happen, they've done... Fox did a poll in March of this year, head-to-head, Bernie, Trump. 47% said they would vote for Bernie to be president of the United States of America. 40% said Trump. These are Fox viewers said this. That was a month before his town hall. Liz Warren says, I don't want to go on Fox News. Complete mistake. Bernie's saying, I'm going on there. What I'm thinking 
And he has gotten a million unique donors. They, they always talk about the polls and they always say, they literally, Bernie just surged after the last debate. And what was the CNN poll? Pete Buttigieg is in a strong fourth place. <laughs> just like, so people are seeing the lies and the nonsense more than ever. And I think I'm cautious. I'm actually cautiously optimistic because they did a poll. Bernie head to head in Texas would win Texas. The state that has had more Democratic social... Is that because I think he's Colonel Sanders? Like? Yeah. Yes, like, yes, yes. Does he go down there and do public appearances in a beard and hang out, hand out buckets of chicken? Hey, how about <laughs> fried chicken, not just for the millionaires and the billionaires? <laughs> but actually, the answer to that question is the Democratic Socialists of America have been growing largely. More chapters have opened up in Texas than any other state. Ron Placona and I did a progressive comedy tour through Texas, and we had an amazing turnout. Texas is the reddest of the red, but more people are understanding Bernie's working-class progressive message. The Democratic Party has abandoned the working class. So is the Republican Party, but the Republicans are better off at saying the verbiage that sounds like yeah. we care. Um, and so— and, yeah, and they're very good at saying either, here's our quick fix for your problem, yeah. or here's our uh, distraction about why— it's like it's actually someone else that you should blame. Mm -hmm. They're better at doing that. Yeah. Whereas the Democrats have kind of pretended that they're all for it, but just move further and further away from it. And I think some of these Trumps, some the people, so so eighty five percent of the people that voted in the sixteen election for either Trump or Hillary said they did it as the lesser of two evils. That shows you how bad the American political system is. So not counting and the, the like neo Nazi Trump supporters, they're a not a small fraction. Many of them were just like. Republicans or conservatives who were like, ah, I can't vote for the Clintons. I'm sorry. I can't do it. Those people are well, seeing some people who had problems with the idea of like the political system just shared between various members of each other's family. oligarchs. Yeah. Two families. The Bushes. Yeah. Had she won. Yeah. The a Bushes Bush and the Clintons would have been in uh, 32 of 40 years. Yeah. The only eight years there wasn't well, that's one. How, that's how a company and a country should run, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. Just let. Let yeah, let the family handle first it. female president of the United States of America, Chelsea Clinton. Yeah, we all it's fine. It's all perfect. That's how a system should work. That's a great system. That's a definitely yeah. a representative. It's not a kleptocracy run by oligarchs. It's a real no. democracy. Um, so what's happening <laughs> is I think people are realizing. I mean, Bernie did a town hall in West Virginia a month after the sixteen election, and all these like coal miners went. You're actually. I would have voted for you. Had you been, and the DNC primary, he won all of these states, but he was cheated by the superdelegates. So my point, there's a long answer to your question. I, I'm cautiously optimistic. And that meeting that the two of them had, Bernie and Tulsi, that ticket is unbeatable. She brings in a lot of libertarians. She brings in all these vets. She brings in a lot of conservatives who are, who are um, really don't, are embarrassed of Trump the Reagan Republicans and the any blue will do crowd. They'll vote for Bernie. So if you win Texas under our bullshit electoral college system, it's 38 electoral votes. So if Bernie Sanders, he'll win every blue state. That's a done deal. He'll actually campaign there. Unlike Hillary. And he'll probably win some of the purple states like Ohio and Florida. But if he gets 38 electoral votes, Texas is like text losing. Texas is like a, a Democrat losing California. You're done. It's over. It's like when Reagan 
he took all those blue states. That's how he won. So I'm cautiously optimistic that people are going to just overwhelm. I talked about with this Lee Camp, and he was like, we just need to overwhelm them with the numbers. And it's what's happening. His his donation. Okay, so he, okay, here's my question off that then. Because I actually agree with you. I think head-to-head, Bernie and Trump, I think Bernie has a fair chance of winning that election. Mm-hmm. My gut instinct from the outside is the harder bit is for Bernie to win the nomination in the first place. Oh yeah. That you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct in that. And I think more people are aware of the cheating and the uh, tipping of the scales in favor of a corporate candidate than they were ever in the past. And I think more people are paying attention now to American politics. Like there's this famous thing at one of the women's marches, someone had to sign up if Hillary won, we would be at brunch right now. And everyone's like, ha ha ha. And a lot of people went, yeah, that's the problem. Mm. You went to brunch for eight years under Obama and you let him, the banks went, he didn't prosecute yeah. the bank. Like he did all, he took us from two wars to seven. Like he fucking yeah. built pipelines, yeah. all that shit. So I think more people are, are, paying attention now and they're engaged on social media, not just like yelling at family members that they don't agree with, but like on Twitter I'm seeing and I'm engaging in people and just bringing up stats and, st- and facts. I just stick to the facts and people like are starting to go, wow. And that's going back to earlier questions. That's what my political vigilante is like. I'm sticking to the facts. This is how they cheat. This is who benefits from it. And I go to open secrets. I, I check, um, uh, federal elections commissions who's donating to whose campaign. And I just say, follow the money. And I think people are starting to, to really wake up. And I think, uh, uh, yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic because if they, if they cheat Bernie again and he does what he does in 16, which I was disappointed at, he just backs whomever Biden or somebody like that. Liz Warren will get crushed by Trump. She'll get fucking crushed. And if it's Liz Warren, if it's Liz Warren and Bernie, maybe, and he's and she picks him as his VP, there's a shot there. But if she picks Kamala or Buttigieg or one of these other corporate Democrats, then you're guaranteeing Trump gets another four years. Because when I hear people go, we need none of the runners centrist. Don't move hard to the left. You ran a centrist in 2016 and you lost. That's a horrible idea. Yeah. So, and the whole like, conversation about Medicare for all Americans are starting to wake up to this fact of like, wait a minute, we should have these things. All these other countries, Australia, Western Europe have these things. They've had them for decades. I played a speech by JFK in 1962 where he was pushing for universal health care, And he goes, Europe has had this stuff for years. Why can't we in 1962? So, I think more people are wanting information. They're paying attention. Sure. We have Medicare for all, but we, we can't have all those guns. So yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah it balances yeah. out. Yeah, it right? does. It does bounce out. Yeah. Oh, and you pussies don't have all the handgun deaths. Damn it. Yeah. I was watching the news last night. It was talking about a shooting in Australia from a year ago that you're still talking about. <laughs> it's true. I was like, wow, <laughs> that's impressive. Um, all right, uh, we need to start finishing up. Um, but I, I liked your optimism there. I like that. I, I thought the, I think that idea that you're putting forward there, which is that the center is the wrong place to attack Trump from, because the center is an acknowledgement, like you said with the the brunch thing, that you think that everything can just go back to being normal, 
and that will be fine for everybody. Whereas the running as the opposite to Trump is like, no, no, no. We also recognize that yeah. things are fucked up. We just have a different solution to the fucked up. We recognize the exact same thing that you're losing your jobs or that you're worried about the future or blah, blah, blah. We get you too. We just have a different solution to yeah. it. And that's why Bernie going on Fox News to me is like, if those people are only getting their info from Fox News, they don't know there's another solution to the problem that they have. And if Bernie goes on there and he goes, yes, I recognize that this thing that you are worried about is something you should be worried about. I just think the solution to it is this, not what you're being told is this. But I recognize that it's a problem and I'm not going to tell you it's not a problem or that you're a racist or a blah, blah, blah for thinking that. I get the pain you're going through. I just have a different prescription for the medicine. Even if you get 10% of the people, it's Th worth going on there to do it. Yes. Because you're not losing any of the others. No. The ones who are never going to vote for you are never going to vote for you. And like the people that are... percent there where you go, no, I've just got a better solution to your, to your problem. I, and I think Bernie is either going to name a head of the Democratic convention because usually they pick their VP during the convention. I think he's either going to name Tulsi or Nina Turner who's a black woman who, who stumps for Trump as his VP. Tina Turner, I think you, are you <laughs> sorry, you might've said that. And then just Tina Turner. And his theme song is going to be simply the best. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when Trump walks out in the democratic debate, he's going to go, welcome to the Thunderdome. That's a, Deep Tina Turner. Wow, that was I'm a gonna, great poll. Yeah, that was better than Katie. Better than Katie Perry. Oh man, that was really. Uh, George Miller just lives down the road from me in Sydney. So, oh wow. Well, tell know, him I said hey. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I think he's going to name either Nina Turner. If he does, if he names Nina, then it'll, it's a safe bet that Tulsi Gabbard will be Secretary of State because her foreign policy, in my opinion, is better than Bernie. Mm. She talks an anti-interventionist thing. That's the other thing. People on the left in America forget this. All they heard or remembered was Trump saying the offensive stuff on the tour. Yeah. He ran an anti-interventionist mm. campaign. He was critical of Obama in Afghanistan mm. and bombing. So you call that out when you're having when you're on Fox News. You go, yeah, Obama, he, he didn't do that great of stuff. And Trump said he was going to pull us out of Afghanistan. He upped the troop count. Mm. He said, I'm pulling people out of Syria, which actually I'm in favor of. And then he put some of them back and sent some of them to Saudi Arabia and flat out said, we're just here to, to protect the oil. So you call out Trump on, on the failed promises of yeah. his campaign. You don't say he's a dumb res racist. No. You say he, he promised to fix this and he didn't fix this. In fact, he's made it worse. Yeah. I am going to fix it. Yes. I recognize that it needs to be fixed. And I don't, I'm Bernie Sanders. I don't take any corporate money. He takes no super PAC money. And Bernie is an independent. That's the thing Trump ran on. I'm an outsider. Yeah. So Bernie goes, I'm an independent. The only time I've registered as a Democrat to run for president twice because independents can't get the traction. So I needed the infrastructure of the Democratic Party. And there's a lot of problems with and, and they're going to believe him. He's like, look, the Democratic Party screwed me over. So I'm not going to just be beholden to them. And, and, and he's going to be honest with them and say, yeah, I'm... I'm no, I'm not going to take your guns away, but I'm, you're not going to have an AR 15. You can have a hunting rifle and a limited amount of ammo, but I'm going to, I'm going to deal with. And I think, I think, I, th I think the thing that America has some reason to be optimistic about Bernie is actually because of his age. Like in that, I don't think Bernie needs to be a two termer. Do you know? Right. Like, and the most effective people in politics are the ones who don't care about having to get reelected. Mm hmm. Because that's your best hope of actually fixing some of the yep. stuff. That the person who gets elected doesn't care about being re-elected. Nope. They care about going in and genuinely 
changing things and getting that process started and seeing how showing people that it can actually work because you've got to go in and go in hard you can't go in no. all west wing no and go for your second term and just like mellow everything out you know and i think he, and he said he's going to have a woman of color as his vp pick and either nina or tulsi are young tina again i think <laughs> <laughs> she left a good job in the yeah. city working for the man every night and day. That's a that's a speech. That's a stump speech. <laughs> you know, well, I, I like you left a good job in the city working for the man every night and day. It's a socialist message, really. It really it? is. It's it like, really is. Yeah. <laughs> but I never found one minute of sleep. Worrying about the thing why things might have been. Big wheels keep on What's turning. Hurting? Proud Mary keeps on burning. Yeah. Proud Bernie ke- burning. Burn Feel the burn, Proud oh, Mary. Jesus. Proud Mary feels the burn. Boy, we just found yeah. the campaign slogan. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully Bernie's listening. Okay. Um, all right. We have, to, we have to finish up, but there's some standard questions that I ask on this podcast, so I need to ask you those questions. Um, uh, what do you think happens when we die? Um, I don't know. I think, I, I think we... I'm not like a Christian. I don't think there's like a heaven and a hell, but I think we do have a spirit or whatever you want to call it that continues on uh like that goes into a multidimensional world where we're just sort of a consciousness without a physical form so we can't feel and hear or we can't touch and feel the way we can in this physical form but i think you know energy doesn't die from a science standpoint so we we keep going and i think um we go to a higher level of consciousness that's what i think that's a good answer yeah i like it um, I have a time machine. I can take you back to any uh, time in your life and you can change it or observe it. Is there a time in your life that you would like to go back to and change or a time in your life you could like to go back to and observe from the outside? Boy, that's a tough one. But there's definitely stuff to change maybe. But I guess if I were to observe, I would love to go back and observe Podfest. Yeah. Because... You know, we're obviously not doing it anymore and we're ending comedy film nerds this year after 10 years of doing it. And there's a lot of reasons, you know, Podfest. I always said if I could just do those three days without the 10 months of planning where I didn't get yeah. paid, yeah. those those things like you and I became friends as a result of Podfest. I have so many friends that I know through that and some of the best fun times that I had. I think that's a really good, like that would be a lovely thing to go back and as you said, to be without you being the person who had to create it and run it and worry about it and all these sort of things to purely just be able to be a, and that's kind of what I was. I just got to go and be a participant in it. And it's why a couple of times I flew literally from Australia for the weekend because I was just like, this is going to be so much fun that I know it will be worth, you know, me going back and forward. Like I did them between <sighs> TV episodes. The fact that search. you did that, Will, was like, this is how beautiful this festival is, that you would be willing to fly 30 hours yeah. round trip I know. for fucking in a week for to three a days to do a weekend yeah but it paid really well so <laughs> uh. <laughs> well you actually were one of the only few comics that were smart enough to realize how to promote the live stream and profit from that so yeah, that's you actually, true, actually. You, actually yeah. you you ran that yeah. i mean so that's what i would want because that that thing and when you said that it was like a music festival that's yeah. part of my vision for it was to create the comedian version of yeah. a, a music festival where like you're jamming with my band and and the fact that we would just do that on each other's podcasts and laugh our asses off and then be in the hallway laugh. I mean like those tofops 
I mean, the last one you came out to do where I was started riffing, didn't plan it, drunk old Batman. Yeah, drunk old. It was a Clint Eastwood style. Yeah. Get off my lawn, Batman. Batman. Because yeah. I had a tank top. Yeah. And I just started fumbling around like I was drunk. Yeah. And Gareth Reynolds just, oh, Bat- hey, Batman. That's And I would just say these awful racist things. Yeah. Here's what I would go back and change. Yeah. There was one joke I forgot to do. Yeah. So I was doing dunk, drunk old Batman. It was, you know, slightly racist, Clint yeah. Eastwood. It was definitely, yeah. It was, it was a parody. It was a, so you were leaning into the yeah. worst aspects of what. And it was 2016, yeah. I believe, or 20. No, it was maybe 2016. Is that the last time you came for Podfest, or was it 2015? Uh, so that would be before the election, anyway. Before so, the yeah, election, yeah. when we thought Trump was a, just a joke, yeah. he was a novelty. Yeah. And one of the the jokes I wish I would have made was. Goddamn Superman, we need to see his long-form birth certificate. <laughs> That's see? that joke. There you go. Well, see, now you got to do it. Yeah. There's the time machine. Yeah. Uh, thank you for doing this today, mate. I really appreciate it.